Hey everybody, it's time again for the Down in the Valley podcast. I'm Todd Golden, sports editor and Indiana State beat writer for the Terre Haute Tribune Star. Episode 19, part 2 of our interview with Dwayne Clee uh, for the Voices of ISU series that I've started this year with the podcast uh, is being recorded, well, this part of it is being recorded in the early hours of September 1st uh, at my house. Uh, not in the Todd Golden Studios in the basement. I'm on my recliner uh, in my living room. Everybody else is sleeping, so no big deal. Um, I recorded the interview with Dwayne um, on August 24th. So, uh, no, it would have been August 17th um, because I recorded it and then I wasn't able to edit it for another week, blah, blah, blah. So, um, anyway, late August. Uh, mid-August with uh, it was when I actually recorded the interview with Dwayne um, this episode deals with uh, his post playing career so we start off with his first coaching job which is at Fowler High School uh, up in Benton County and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second um, and then we move on to his coaching career at, at Indiana State uh, he came to Indiana State in 1955 I had his first winning season in 59. I did make an error in this. I think I said that he didn't have any other losing seasons after that. He did have one, but after 1959, Indiana State's program was a winning one um, back in the days of the ICC uh, and uh, remained so until Dwayne resigned in 1967. uh, And he cites some of the reasons why uh, in the podcast. Uh, he remained as tennis coach, though, uh, longer than that. And even after he retired as tennis coach, he was co- sort of a oh, a conciliary for the tennis program well into the 90s at least, I mean, if not longer than that. I think he, he mentions he worked with former ISU tennis player and coach Brian Boland for a time, and I know that period was right before I got here. So, um so Dwayne was always a presence around the tennis program. So he talks about that. He does also talk, frankly, about the fact that he wishes ISU still had tennis and some of the hurt he felt when ISU eliminated the program in 2009. Uh, and he talks about modern basketball as well. And uh, Dwayne's 94 years old, but he still enjoys basketball. In fact, you'll hear uh, his opinions on today's game. And it's not, you know, back in my day, things were better. It's actually, he really enjoys today's uh, version of basketball. So, uh, and he talks a little bit about the current uh, Indiana State team, uh, what he thinks of them. So, obviously, a great pleasure to talk to Dwayne. He's an Indiana State legend. Uh, in some ways, maybe the biggest legend of them all when you take into account his playing career, his coaching career, and the impact he had on so many athletes and others at Indiana State. Um, I will say this part's a little bit shorter. I had to cut a little bit of it out. I don't want to say why, um, but there were some reasons for the podcast. I had to, I had to cut it, uh, unfortunately, um, but hopefully that'll turn into something else down the line. Uh, that's really all I can say about it, but probably about 12 minutes were sliced. But um, I did want to make one correction on on a bit of hubris that I had in this. Uh, at one point, Dwayne is talking about his... Uh, time in Benton County at Fowler and back in those days Benton County had uh, he says 11 high schools uh, no reason to disbelieve that uh, these days of course Benton Central is the only high school in Benton County um, and he talks about 
one of his beloved coaches that he worked with at Fowler High School before consolidation took place up up uh, north of us and um i the the Benton county figure from i s u that i've always or not always known of but learned of recently was Dick Atha, who's an i s u hall of famer also played in the n b a um and was a long time personality around the Benton central scene so when Dwayne's talking about somebody who recently passed uh Atha died within the last two years um I just jumped in and assumed he was talking about Dick Atha well he wasn't he was actually I wanted to correct who he was talking about because I don't think he mentioned his name um Dwayne's assistant coach at Fowler was was a man named Herschel Mallory and um worked with Dwayne in several sports I was able to locate um the Fowler High School yearbook. I have a membership to one of those, uh, like class. I think it's classmates.com, and you could look up old yearbooks on there. And it just happened that Fowler, one of the Fowler ones on there, was from 1955, and that was Dwayne's last year at Fowler. And uh, some cool stuff in there. There's not very many photos. I only found one photo with Dwayne in it, which was a post shot with the Fowler team. Um, but it told a lot of interesting stories about Dwayne's time at Fowler and uh um and Herschel Mallory was his coach um assistant coach in both basketball and baseball. Uh yes, Dwayne coached baseball up at Fowler as well. Um but I learned it was I just a sidelight to this. This has nothing to do with ISU. I just think it's interesting. But you know, I don't think Dwayne mentioned that Fowler uh went to three regionals in the period of time he was coaching. Um now back then, you know, a lot of sectionals were essentially uh one or two county affairs and if there were that many schools in Benton County, they may I don't know who was in their sectional. I would guess that um obviously all the Benton County teams were in it, maybe a few teams from Newton County or even uh Warren County or something like that. I'm not sure, but uh you know, Fowler was uh was a good team in those days. They were beaten according to this this yearbook has a lot of text in it. It doesn't have many photos. But uh, in the purple prose kind of way that they wrote about back in the mid '50s, uh, uh, it's they're describing their regional game with Zionsville, and it said the Bulldogs led all the way and practically had the game on ice when, in the closing seconds, the Zionsville Eagles took advantage of errors by the Eagles and won the game on a basket. In the last eight seconds of play, the final score was 39-37. So uh, once again, Dwayne, you know, he's not a at least in my time talking to him, he's never been an egotistical man. So he didn't even mention that um, that Fowler was, uh, you know, a power up there up in the northwestern part of the state at the time. So uh, anyway, just an interesting story. And I did want to correct the record on that because it was Herschel Mallory who was his coach and um, and did later serve as athletic director at Fowler um, as well. So um, so anyway. This is part two. I hope you enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed talking to Dwayne, and here we go. After you spent your years in the NBA, you got into coaching, and your first job was at Fowler High School up in Benton County. What what was that like? Yeah, well, we had a, approximately 100 in high school, maybe one or two more, uh, 102 or 103. And uh, there were 11 schools in the county at the time. And we were by far the biggest. So, gives you some idea of the size of uh, the 
Dick Atha you're talking about, right? Pardon? Was that Dick Atha? No, uh, no, uh, uh, but Dick was also principal, AD, he did everything, but he was from Otterman. That was one of our big uh, 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 rivals. And, uh, and, and, but Dick, uh, of course, came here and and played and, and had a nice career himself uh, all the way through a great guy uh, uh, but uh, the fellow I'm talking about is Hook Mallory Herschel Mallory oh okay and uh, you know you could kind of uh, google him but he and Dick were bosom buddies and uh, they were I think probably the administrators of Benton Central during uh, well, as long as they were there. Yeah, I know when Dick All Atha time. passed away, one of the things that he was best known for was being kind of Mr. Benton Central because he was such a big supporter of uh, of uh, the school up there. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Dick was a really good person, too, and... Uh, uh, I miss seeing him. He used to come down to all, a lot of ISU uh, things, and and uh, we'd always get to talk and and so forth. But Benton Central, great uh, Benton County, great county. More than half of it was owned by Purdue University. It's one of the probably top agricultural counties in the state. Mm-hmm. The land is expensive and and uh, really uh, really good. Yeah, these days you go through it, and it's yeah, at least when I go through up 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 uh, US forty one, it's uh, the the land of wi- wind farms these days. That's yeah, uh, I know it is. I know I, my wife and I took a trip up there uh, not too many years ago, probably around twenty twelve or thirteen, and. Uh, and drove, uh, stayed in Lafayette and I had drove up from, uh, Lafayette to Fowler. <laughs> and I was, I was absolutely amazed. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, goes all the way to the Illinois state line. Yeah, it does. It's pretty, uh, remarkable to drive through. Well, you know, uh, after your years in Fowler, you came to ISU and, uh, tell me about yep. the approach you took as coach at, uh, 
at ISU after you took over for uh, John Longfellow, who, of course, you had played for. Uh, what was your first priority when you uh, took over? Well, uh, uh, I, I began that with the admonition I got from uh, the president of Indiana State at the time when I had an opportunity to interview with him. That's uh, Dr. Tyree, who uh, was an old uh, superintendent of schools and educator. And I can very vividly remember him just, uh, uh, I had met him before being somebody who was hanging around that area for so many years when I was a kid, but uh, he he impressed upon me that my that coaching is teaching and teaching is the is the priority of the Indiana State Teachers College at the time. Right. Uh huh. And uh, and I I uh, I. Uh, kind of agreed with that and uh, so basically that's how I get went in as a basketball coach but I was also going to be the tennis coach and I was going to teach uh, a half a load and I was going to serve on committees and I was going to do this and do that and advise students and uh and I did that until the day I resigned. I had all those responsibilities and uh, did them to the best I could do. It gave, it was pretty tough at times, especially in the spring. Uh, there were a lot of people when we got fairly good, they were, you know, a decent teams. Then uh, with all the high schools, they wanted uh, speakers at banquets and that kind of thing. And, uh, it was hard and recruiting. And I never had a full-time assistant all the time I was there, including yeah. my last year. I, uh, uh, Bob Holler did a wonderful job. But he also was the freshman football and freshman baseball. So I never had him for anything other than the season. It's a different time so, period because these days coaches have all kinds of help in terms of, you know, their, their jobs. I mean, yeah. do well, you... Well, when I resigned, they immediately went out <laughs> and uh, hired a really nice person, really good coach, but he also had two full-time coaches with him, and I can't for the life of me understand why I was never afforded that, but uh, that's another story. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're... That's another story. Your first... I, I had a good, time, a good career. I enjoyed it. You, yep. had, you had your first winning season, I think, in 1959. And I don't think you had a losing season until you uh, resigned in 1967. 
what helped what helped you turn the corner uh, in those years? Probably a lot of things. Uh, some alumni, uh, we were fortunate to to have uh, to, to have hired a trainer uh, from Columbus, Indiana, and then he opened the door and helped me get a lot of those kids from Columbus. We had mm-hmm. uh, uh, Newsom and. Wade and and uh, oh the other guard we had I can't again my mind is a little uh, weak but uh, you know we had good uh, alumni help on on pointing out and getting players and then uh, we uh, uh we were just able to somehow get, uh, we got a couple of kids on the rebound that were outstanding. The leading player on Kentucky's freshman team gotten some kind of a little jam with the coach down there. And yeah. Came back to uh, Howard Dardine, of course, you know. Right, yep. And uh, then we got uh, Jimmy Crone later from University of Tennessee. He was a highly recruited all-star. Uh, and we were open to just about anybody that could play the game. Uh, and uh, uh, often it was very difficult to to uh, have an opportunity to see them. It was, we didn't have uh, film that we had, nor did they have film sometimes in the high school. So a lot of it depended on getting out and seeing them. And that too was a, uh, made many trips, uh, even up to as high, far away as South Bend and come back the same night and and then have your classes the next day. But again, it was fun. You, uh, one I, of the, uh, go ahead. Good opportunity. Yep. One of the biggest transitions that was made while you were coaching uh, for the university was athletically, it went from being NAIA to going in the NCAAs, what they called at that time the university uh, or the college yeah. division. Um, yeah. And that was kind of the, you know, the beginning of, you know, the ISU transitioning to what would become Division One later. Um, you, you were coaching in the middle of that. What was that transition like? Well, that was, uh, uh, that was good. Uh, you know, that, that was a good thing. That's, uh, that's uh, why we, I think, maybe in, like, a couple of years before I... Uh, Resigned and maybe in '64. I, I can't remember for sure, but uh, we had a fairly decent season. Uh, we only had one of the Columbus kids. The other one was a freshman. Freshmen weren't eligible that year. We were in and out of that several times in my time of 12 years. We sometimes freshmen were eligible, sometimes they weren't. Yeah. 
And the one year, uh, we uh, Coach Wooden had called and said he wanted to come and play. Uh, so he brought his one of his championship teams uh, with uh, Gil Goodrich and that group. And uh, we couldn't pay him much. <laughs> I, uh, but he said that was fine. He wanted to come, he wanted to do it, which I appreciated very, very much. Your your and schedules in that era were were tough. I mean, didn't you well, play? We played. Uh, uh, that was a Saturday night game. They had played Illinois on Friday night, and I had gone over to Illinois to see him. And. Uh, then they came to state, but then the next Saturday night we played Michigan yeah. at Michigan, Cassie Russell. Yeah, that and is. The two of them ended up in the final game of the NCAA. Right, in I, I remember writing yeah. about that uh, on their anniversary yeah, yeah. of yeah. that, and that was like, I, I knew you guys had played UCLA, and then I look at the schedule, and then you loaded up on Michigan right after that. That's, uh, uh, you know, that's. But all, yeah. but but a lot of your schedules had a lot of good quality on it, especially in those years in the in the sixties. Um, yeah, but in that same year, I, I I think this is kind of interesting. Uh, of course, we had our conference games, and Evansville was in the league, right? And they were undefeated. We had to play them twice, and they never lost a game that year. They beat uh, uh, Southern Illinois in the final with in '64, mm-hmm. I think, and we had played Southern Illinois. So we had five games against the number one ranked team in the college division and the second place team, and. Three losses to those three, two, and then two losses to the number one uh, team that won the NCAA and the runner-up. I don't imagine that has happened. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not then or now. But uh, who is your favorite? And we were quite uh, sharp then. We didn't quite have the team we had then in '65, I think, and '66. So you you explained why you uh, you left coaching in 1967. I know the recruiting part of it and the time that you had to spend, especially based on all your other duties, were uh, you know was yeah. was quite a bit of work. Um, and you had to remember too, we have seven children, and uh, they were becoming uh, of the age that uh, I was very worried, not worried, uh, I was very aware of, uh, of the, uh, what was going on in, in schools, in communities, and, and uh, Vietnam thing was, I believe, uh, in that era. Yep, definitely would have been. Yep, and, uh, I just, and my wife was handling all that, 
And uh, not that our, our kids did wonderfully, but uh, uh, I was worried about it. And uh, I felt I ought to be home more and do a little more of uh, what she was uh, was uh, up to at the time. Uh, a lot of them were really young and she had a hard time. Not a hard time, but when you have three or four little ones and then, uh, thank goodness, the others helped out a lot also. It became easier for her. Sure. And it just turned out it was the thing I wanted to do. Yeah. Well, I have two, and I they were they're only a year apart, and I know how hard that was. I can't imagine having uh, more than that. That'd be that'd be uh, yeah. quite a challenge. Um, yeah. You did keep coaching tennis though for a while. Um, what kind of joy did you uh, derive out of that? Well, actually, uh, I hadn't played tennis. Oh, uh, I did get back into it a little uh, with the team. At about the age of uh, 35, I, I didn't own a racket from the time I got out of college where I had played a little. So I, I wasn't, wasn't uh, you know, into it that much. But when I found some time after got getting out of basketball, I remember going to the college library and talking to one of the librarians and she let me take home the periodical World Tennis, which was the big tennis magazine at the time, had a lot of instructional stuff in it. And she let me take home, and they had the issues from back in the 40s, 30s, and she let me take home oh, I think five, ten at a time to look them over and, and try to learn a little more about the sport from a teaching standpoint and that kind of thing. So so it, it, it put me in another uh, area that uh, I enjoyed for the rest of my life, practically. Uh, so I coached and... and uh, I was very happy doing that for uh, a lot of years. And then 1980, I stopped doing that because I got into some administrative uh, work with uh, the department. Right. But you did, I, I, I know you were around, though, because I have, we have pictures in our office of you. You weren't the coach, head coach, but helping out well into the early 90s. I mean, you'd be out there on the court helping out. And after that, a little with with Brian Boland, when he was here, he asked me when when they had the uh, 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 regional. For example, uh, uh, one of the regionals had uh, uh, University of Minnesota and and, uh, Harvard, of all teams. James Blake was on that team. Yeah became player and uh, so Brian would ask me to help so somebody he could have somebody on uh, 
courts with these players and, uh, during their matches. And uh, uh, he was an interesting person. Were you here then? I was not here for Brian Boland. I was, I was here um, for the about maybe four or five years before they, they folded the tennis program. So I would have been here... The one bit of tennis success okay. ISU had was when the, the when the women went to the NCAA tournament in 2008. So that's right. the one yeah. taste of tennis I got. Uh, well, uh, that was a wonderful five years with Brian Boland. Uh, you would have loved that guy. Uh, four national titles now and 54. 15 out of 16 AAC titles with uh, with the Florida teams and mm-hmm. South Carolinas and stuff. The guy was amazing. He's at Baylor now. And uh, talked with him the other night for a while. And I wouldn't doubt that he'll put up a couple more before he's done. He's only, I think, 47 or 8. So yeah. yeah, he's my. He can, <clears throat> yeah, he's my age. Yeah, he's in that range. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you Are you disappointed that ISU doesn't sponsor tennis anymore? I mean, it was. Oh, absolutely. I uh, I the the uh, uh, the head of the uh, intercollegiate tennis association at the time wrote a nice letter to. Uh, our AD at the time and, and president. Uh, I wrote to the president and to the AD about the fact that uh, that the tennis program was one of the oldest they had. I think they had tennis, intercollegiate tennis back in the early 30s. They maybe did. Late tw- they did. And, uh, and to cut that off after they had had a coach uh, who had taken them to heights they'd never imagined. Uh, he had a doubles team that beat the Bryan brothers in collegiate play. Uh, it was sickening to me. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I'd, I think that's why I never have talked much about it because it uh, just didn't like it. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, the the courts are still there, and they, of course, are named after you. And um, yeah. you know, it's un it's unfortunate that that decision was made.
Well, they didn't win an NCAA championship or something like that. But uh, that's kind of not a very uh, good way of thinking. Uh, I don't believe. Uh, yeah. Uh, 99% don't. Right, right. And, and they still do good things and, and play well and compete well. Compete, right. Competent. I used to think, people ask me why I played, uh, and I'd say, well, I like the exercise and I like competition and the social aspect. Gosh, you meet people playing tennis. And uh, I think kids make these kinds of uh, of uh, associations. Like in basketball, I'm sure that that uh, some of our players are good friends with a player, perhaps at Creighton. We're not Creighton now, but uh, Drake or Illinois State or. Butler, or Evansville, sure. Wherever, like, probably true for all sports. I mean, people forget that this, you know, isn't always about money and winning and all that. It's usually about something, you know, something a little less. Uh, it's something more important in the respect that it's, like you said, competition and uh, camaraderie and getting an education. I think a lot of people lose sight of that sometimes. Yeah, I think you're right. <clears throat> Well, you're still regular, though. I mean, I still see you at Holman Center for basketball games. Um, well, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, see, we've been quarantined up here pretty much since the first week of March. I was in Florida with my daughter and uh, came back on uh, uh, February 25th or something. And then uh, about a week and a half later, I haven't been in another building other than this since, except for a doctor's office. Right. Yep. Yeah. I've been, been in another building. I'm, I'm covering. In, yeah, it's remarkable. Everything. I'm covering my first athletic event tonight um, right. since <laughs> since March. Yeah. And and it's be fun. very well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's uh, everybody's been kind of locked down, unfortunately, and uh, you know the virus is made that a necessity but getting getting back to basketball a little bit what what do you what do you like about today's game uh, oh, I love what I do love you... the game somehow through trial and error and, and uh, this and that I think they've come up with uh, with the uh, and technology gosh with the uh, clocks that gives tenths of seconds that kind of thing yeah I, I, I think the game is uh, is at its very best right now in the time that I've watched it. Uh, the fact that uh, that uh, you can be up by four with uh, uh, eight seconds to play and there's still game possibility going on, uh, that didn't happen back in the day. Right. You know, if you had had a uh, five-point lead with 40 seconds and 
uh, it was rare that uh, you could get that turned around. But with the three-point and with the clock stopping as often as, as it does, which that was a big thing that helped, I think. Uh, after a goal uh, used to continue, but now it stops. And it just made the game a lot more chances of ending up close than there used to be. Yeah, yeah, no question about I think it. What we like about the game is when it's close. Yeah. What about? What do you think? I I agree. I mean, it's changed even since since I would have been in high school. I mean, the three point shot. I didn't play in yep. high school. I played in middle school, but um, the three point shot came into play at that time, and the game has completely changed. Uh, yeah. Since you know, in the I, I graduated thirty years ago, and it's. Um, it's a total, it's a totally different game, but I do agree. I think it's, um, I think it's more even in terms, you know, when certainly when you would have coached and played and, and in my early years watching basketball is more of a post oriented game. And I think it's more balanced than it was oh my. without yeah. question. So I think that's yeah. good. Um, Fun to watch. what, what do you like about Indiana state at this point? They had a good year last year. Oh, I, uh, I think they're poised for a really good season. Uh, hopefully, they'll get get to uh, play it. But uh, uh, I think they're they're uh, uh, ready to do it. However, my golly, the Missouri Valley seems to reload pretty well when they have to. Yeah. Yep. There's going uh, it's going to be a tough year. A lot of experience in the league this year. Uh, yeah. Right. I thought uh, a year ago that. Drake shouldn't have been as good as they were. I didn't because the year before they were sort of a uh, well, not really that good. Yeah. And uh, that new guy came in and got some pieces, and then players get better. Yeah. Some players can really get better in two or three years. Figures out. And uh, so it'll be an interesting season, I'm sure. But I think we'll hold our own, surely, and maybe better than that. Well, thus concludes my interview with Dwayne Klee. It, it kind of cut off because after that, Dwayne was talking to me privately for a little bit on the call, so it showed up in the recording. I had to slice that out. But um, I'm planning on doing another Voices of ISU. This one will be more focused on current events. Um, I have an interview scheduled with Makai Ware, Dante Hendricks, and Michael Thomas Jr. from the ISU football team, and they were the organizers of the um, the march for for social justice that took place in early August, and uh, they're the leaders on the ISU football team's team in terms of uh, uh, you know trying to bring awareness to issues of race, issues of Black Lives Matter, and things like that. So I think it's topical. I think it's good to talk to them about that. And it's certainly a subject that uh, uh, they deserve to have their voices heard. So that'll be the next episode. Hopefully it'll be up by this time next week. Uh, until then, thank you for listening, and, uh, and uh, we'll see you again next week.